Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 94. Guys, welcome back. Argo, glad you were able to come back into the country. <laughs> That's yep. a bad joke. Bad joke about a bad topic. Yeah. Although if you haven't uh, donated to the ACLU, now would probably be a good time. Even though they've gotten a crazy amount of money, uh, there's some bad stuff going on. <laughs> I think they're going to need more money. <laughs> yeah, they might be, need more. going to be a long four years. I'm hoping it's shorter than that. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> there is that possibility. But this is, uh, yeah, bringing it back to a little bit tech-focused, it really is hard for me to concentrate sometimes with all this all this news going on. Do you guys just like turn off your browsers, essentially? Turn off your phones and just head down code? Or, or what are you guys trying to do to be productive? I don't know. My productivity wasn't great before. I would definitely say it has gotten worse, especially in the past two weeks. Right after the election, I think a lot of people took the, you know, let's put our head in the sand and filter out all this noise so we can have a little bit of sanity for a few weeks. Um, but now it's reality and you know related to our industry you know obviously over the weekend a lot of the major tech companies got very interested in what's going on and because it had a direct impact on employees of all the major tech firms and and a lot of companies around the u.s uh, where they had employees that were directly impacted by the policies i was kind of disappointed by some of the statements where they basically just talked about the impact on their business uh, you know, that immigrants and refugees have. Uh, I really respected, uh, was it Sergey Brin, uh, who was down at the protests uh, in San Francisco? Um, and there was Tim Cook made a statement, but it was, I don't know, it was kind of, it was all right. It wasn't like a bad statement or anything, but. It was a good statement, but they're clearly walking a line. You know, they're trying not yeah. to overstep yeah. or overstate their position. They're saying this this will be bad for our company because of this. And maybe there's I don't know if logic is the way to uh, convince someone who would make this type of executive order. I, I think the although I don't think what what I think is the right thing, which is saying that this is this executive order should not have happened because it's just immoral. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> seem to help either. So, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss. Of yeah, what to do. We were okay with it until it impacted our business directly. Yeah, that was kind of what the tone uh, for some companies uh, came off. And, and I know it really wasn't, but... Yeah, know, I'm sure they have similar feelings to us, but... I will say... They're Tim trying Cook, to please a lot of people. You know, Tim Cook didn't just go on Twitter and complain about it, or, you know, they didn't just have a press release. Tim went to Washington and met with representatives. So, you know, he's doing what everybody really should be doing is pressuring their, their representatives to do the right thing. If anyone knows of any like a uh, tech uh, help or volunteer work that organizations need, tell us about it in the Slack. I'm sure there's people who would be interested. I think I need to turn off some of my uh, website notifications that come across so I don't get distracted. On that note, let's get uh, to some of the news this past week. Of course, right after we recorded last week, um, we got some interesting news about uh, iOS 10.3 and a lot of the things that were in that. So, or does, does someone want to start on something with regards to that? 
Yeah, one of the kind of weird little uh, additions in 10.3 is the ability to uh, switch your app icon. So you can specify alternate icons. And as far as I know, there's not a upper bound for how many you can have, uh, but you can uh, dynamically change the icon that's on the home screen. So that's that's kind of an interesting change. Uh, it's something we actually wanted to do a long time ago at a previous company um, because we had had an app that was used by lots of different brands. So, you know, having the brand's logo on the home screen was important to, uh, to each individual brand, even though, you know, the app was the same regardless of which brand you were using at the time. Uh, so instead we ended up with several copies of the same app, essentially, just so we could have the different branding. Yeah. But if, I feel like that's a, a way to go if you're going to white label something. Yeah, it's this isn't necessarily applicable for everything, but you know, there's a few interesting use cases. Um, you know, a lot of games will theme their their icon for the holidays. Uh, yeah, you, know, project, you don't have you don't have to do a release for that anymore, right? Project Red is another one. Uh, a lot of apps will change their logo red during that so, that period. So, will this enable that? I guess one thing that I'm not entirely sure of is, you know, everyone's favorite iOS beta release hacker, Steve Trotton Smith, has been tweeting a bunch, and he found some, uh, like, messages from some type of alert that looks like it requires um, permission, and I'm not entirely sure if it requires permission explicitly every time you change the icon, or if it's a thing where you can just grant the app permission, or... Well, I tried out or his what? demo app and it didn't prompt for permission. So um, this is still a beta, so it could change at any time. But my suspicion is if you do have to grant permission, it won't, won't require it every time. I think once you grant permission, I suspect that it'll allow you to change it, uh, which, you know, for something where you're only doing it once a year might be a little bit weird. But I mean, you could think of like a workflow type of application. Maybe you change the app icon to indicate the state of a product delivery or, you know, the state of your pizza order or whatever it may be. Or your fantastical and yeah. Yeah. Calendars, uh, weather. Uh, so there's, there's a handful of, um, scenarios. And if you have to ask permission every time, obviously that makes it kind of mm. useless. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and your calendar app is asking you if it can change to the right day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of lame. Yeah. So my suspicion is that it will be a one time, but I, I guess we'll see. I, I've got a feeling. So as we record, uh, beta one is out, but beta two could be coming out any time. And we, we will have more questions about some of the other things in 10.3 beta one. And you may have answers by the time you hear this, but. We're still trying to figure this out. Um, so I guess the next big change that there's a lot of questions about is uh, Apple's providing like a sanctioned support for doing an in-app review. Previously, it was there is a rule kind of uh, against it, and basically everyone ignored it <laughs> for prompting for reviews. It was more of a vague rule about manipulating ratings and stuff like that. But now they're giving us this nice dialogue that you can prompt in the app, and you can rate from within the app. You don't have to leave it at all, which is really awesome. Uh, we won't be losing people when we ask them for a review, but there's a lot of questions about it too. Yeah. And I think there's a limit on how many times you can ask and it's enforced and it doesn't get reset every time you release a new version. I think it 
only gets reset once a year. Yeah, yeah like there's a three times a year, maybe three I or believe, four. That, I believe that's what it is. Well, so the weird thing about this is they they announced these limitations specifically in some interviews with popular Apple bloggers. So there will be a way to turn it off for users if they don't want any review prompts. And yeah, those three times a year and that does not reset its per year period. But that's not in the documentation at all. And we don't even get a callback or some type of status to find out if there if you said present rating review, if it didn't come back or not, which is really odd. But I guess if they really wanted to, to limit it uh, to three times a year, it's got to be a secret, I guess. Um, there was a lot of apps that were taking advantage and suggesting if you left the review that you could unlock additional functionality in the app. So I suspect if there's not a callback, it's intentional for that reason. So I, I remember there was a third party keyboard that said you had to leave a review to unlock the features. Which they couldn't actually check, but <laughs> right, people are going to fall for it anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, that app had like thousands of five star reviews, even though it was a crappy keyboard. <laughs> but it uh, people kind of bought into it. Yeah. Well, one problem that that uh, one of you guys alluded to a few minutes ago is that in the app store, your reviews get reset with every um, every new update. If you if you're going and they're also they've also stated that they won't enforce that This is the only way to uh, get reviews. But at some point it will be. So there's kind of a. A problem, and I think to John Gruber, Apple acknowledged they're aware of, of the issue that you'd be at a disadvantage to other apps if you implemented it right now, which is maybe why they're not enforcing it, just based on the fact that your reviews get set reset every update, um, but they have not announced any changes to how that will work or if there's some other solution to that. Because in my company, we've been talking about this a lot because we're in a very competitive space, uh, very competitive space, and uh basically when you search for a keyword that our apps are in you'll see three or four other apps that are the exact same and we're typically the first search result but uh, one of the big differentiators between apps is is not only like what are their average star rating when you're looking at that list but like how many they have if you see a app with i don't know twenty thousand reviews that has four and a half stars and you see one that has a hundred you're probably gonna go with the app that has twenty thousand and granted we all know kind of what a what a sham app reviews are, but users, I don't think, have that same understanding. <laughs> so it's, it's it's really hard trying to figure out what to do going forward with the, the review thing, like what, what's the right thing to do. I will say that, you, that there are definitely psychological things that you can take advantage of. Like if you make your user feel good and then prompt them for a review, they're more likely to leave you a better review. So if you grant them, say, I don't know, some in-app currency or some kind of gift inside your app and tell them about it, and then the next thing you do is prompt them for a review, mm -hmm. there's, there's a good chance they're going to give you a good review. Yeah, Clash of Clans will prompt you after you win a battle, so you feel good. <laughs> yep. so a, that yeah. you did a battle, and B, that you won. It's like, now's a good time to leave a review. Well, and we've talked about about doing that uh, in the wake of these changes. And I think that's one of, we're going to be making a variety of changes to how we prompt for reviews. But we are, I think, going to start prompting uh, after you've won in a single player game. We don't want to interrupt people's multiplayer game flows in our apps. But um, I mean, 
if you can't beat him, join him, I guess. You're kind of at a disadvantage if you don't. <laughs> so yeah. we don't, I feel like we don't have much of a choice. Um, another thing that, that people have done in the past and do now is, and it's, I don't know if it's less shady than the, than some of the other things we've talked about, but you, you don't say, Hey, give me a review. You say, Hey, do you like the app? And if you say no, they're like, Oh, what can we do to help you? Please right. send us an email or get, send a support request. And if you say yes, they're like, Oh, great. Can you, uh, give us a review? So you, you funnel only the good reviews into your app, which I think is a lot of the reason why you, you really don't see that. Like one star reviews are seem like they're rarer than they used to be when you got prompted after you deleted an app, which was another horrible idea that they fixed, luckily. But why a lot of the apps are just like somewhere between four and five stars. You don't see a lot of like three, two star apps, especially from spaces where there's a lot of competition or lots of downloads involved because everybody does that. And and I think part of the reason people ask whether you're happy or not beforehand is couldn't really respond to somebody or help somebody if they were unhappy. So it was a very one direction communication. So routing them to a support channel gives you an opportunity to actually interact and resolve an issue for a user. That's the cop out explanation, I feel like. But right. But, <laughs> but it's a good segue into it's, the next topic, which is <laughs> which is uh, Apple is going to allow developers to respond to customer reviews in iOS 10.3 and macOS here 10.12.4. Before we get to that, I wanted to ask you guys, are you planning on using the new dialogues or are the places where you're working on apps planning on using the new dialogues or are you not sure yet? It's too new of a thing. Too new of a thing. We haven't. I don't think we've implemented the ask for review in any of the apps we've done in the past, uh, just for one reason or another. Either it wasn't really applicable to the app or uh, just didn't fit the brand. Well, and if you have, if you don't have an existing ask for review piece in the app, then it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you should probably implement this as soon as you can, since it's like the thing from Apple on how to do this. What about you, Sam? So for the the day job app I work on, we don't have anything in place like that right now. I don't, I'm not aware of anything coming down the road for it either. My personal stuff, I could see using it. It's, it's there. It's free, right? So might as well take advantage of it. You don't have to figure out how to, to find your app URL or, you know, pull in a third party framework or anything to do it. It's all right there. Yeah. I would, I would use it. I feel like such a, a scam app maker now since you guys are like, no, nah, none of our apps prompt for reviews <laughs> it may just be more what what my competitors are doing i guess but uh i think we're probably gonna be doing some hybrid solution we've we've got a current hack in place to determine if the uh dialogue has been shown but we're gonna see what happens in the next couple betas uh and, and maybe track some of this data too to figure out how often it's shown and stuff like that but uh, yeah i think we're gonna be using it too one other thing that they added um that so a long time ago there is a undocumented way to send a person straight to your app store page in the review with the like the review prompt up and that got removed since it was undocumented a couple OS releases ago and they've added back in an official parameter to be able to link directly to the review portion of the app store as well and they said it's fine for people to like in their settings or somewhere where they're not prompting you to put that link uh, if you'd like to get reviews that way. So if you're really averse to the user experience of interrupting someone with a modal dialogue at all, there's always that option too that they've doc documented now so that you can do it. So there's that. But anyways, uh, we have, uh, we can respond to reviews now. So 
What do you guys think about this? Boring. No. <laughs> it's hey, welcome to Android Land, right? It's nice. Definitely need something like this. Man, it's just it's a sign I think of a mature store ecosystem. Yeah. It seems it's kind of weird to not have it. Put an intro. I mean, it's a good thing that you can respond, but at the same time, you know, from a support standpoint for an app, you've got social media, you might have a support system and now you've got the app store to monitor, but you know, you're probably monitoring reviews anyway and wishing you could get them into your support channel. So now you can have a way to, to respond and tell them how to get support for the issue that they're having. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be like a game changer in terms of like my business is going to be affected one way or the other, whether I do or don't respond to app reviews. Cause I mean, like we've had it on Android. It's been on Android. We've, we've actually responded to some reviews on Android, but we're, it's not like a, for us it, on Android currently, it's not like a support channel that's always combed through a lot of times because reviews are just horrible to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it might be something that we, now that this has brought it back to our attention and we'll have the ability to do it in iOS where we have a lot more users right now, we may have to, we have a support person who does support email for us. We may have to add that to their duties. We're, we're thinking that might make sense. Um, and I've seen it done very well with sellers on Amazon quickly uh, responding to one-star reviews and complaints and driving them towards their, their help desk. So it, it can be done well. And see, a lot of times I feel like it's, they've got that stuff automated. So every time I buy anything on Amazon, it, yeah, I can get to the point where like, if someone has that, that's, that's actually be a good business for someone is if you get a one-star review, you know, yeah prompt people to re respond for it. I, I, people have talked about other tools, but that annoying stuff that they do on Amazon, where every time you, they, they're prompting you for review anytime you buy anything, that might be a, I'm not, I'm not saying the prompting for the review, but the well, idea yeah, of, doesn't help at that point, but yeah, but focus on the one star reviews automatically put them in some type of queue to respond to and try to make them not one star reviews, whether yeah. it's through support or whatever. I mean, um, it tells me that there's an active support channel and that they're going to work to try and resolve it. It's kind of like uh, Angie's List or Better Business Bureau complaints. Like they have some motivation to, they seem motivated to address the issues as opposed to just ignoring them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if users actually pay attention to reviews or how this all plays out in the App Store. I mean, at the end of the day, if it's a free or 99 cent app, I mean, honestly, I, <laughs> I don't really expect much. But you would be surprised what some people do expect. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can see if you spent $500 on a washing machine, I would expect pretty good support. But for a 99 cent app, I, I don't know. You're saying you get what you pay for? Yeah, yeah. Your expectations I, should kind of meet the investment. I think a $500 washing machine, you probably wouldn't be getting much support or support for that because... That's not very expensive in the spectrum of washing machines, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since he bought a washing machine. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That, you may have gotten a good one. <laughs> I did get a good I've, one. I, I bought <laughs> some recently, and that's not very expensive for a washing machine. <laughs> I don't know how much I spent, but it, it, they've lasted quite a while already. But now I'm jinxed, I, I think. Maybe uh, you should put some links to your washing machines in the in the show notes with Amazon referral codes. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of new bits, this one was kind of cool. Or not really cool, I guess. But we did get a new Xcode. And I don't know, do you guys feel like this is even earlier in the year or in the cycle? 
that were now required to be on the latest version of Mac OS? I think the latest version of Mac OS and the latest version of Swift 3 is definitely, you know, kind of a strong position. Yeah. You know, there are some companies that have difficulty moving to the latest version so quickly. Uh, you know, fortunately, I've got more uh, more freedom to upgrade at, at my pace than, uh, than some other developers have. For anybody who hasn't already gone through the pain of moving to Swift 3, uh, you're pretty much going to be forced to if you want to stay on the latest and greatest Xcode. Right. And Swift 3, the migration, it is quite a pain. You just got to bite the bullet, do it all at once. Unfortunately, you can't just, you know, say pick a framework and then upgrade that particular one or yeah. even pick a source file and upgrade it. Yeah. And working, doing that in, in a team, like even with source control, it's not an easy thing to distribute the effort. Yeah. You almost need to maybe like just pick a weekend and tell everybody not to commit anything or, you know, don't leave anything uncommitted on Friday and then just go and do it all over a weekend. And some of the, changes especially that the migrator did was almost obnoxious just like changing from ns date to date and then having to then convert it back to an ns date because i had a legacy api that needed ns date instead and just, <laughs> you know just things i wouldn't have thought would have been an issue but Sounds fun. <laughs> being an issue um the the one you know after going through hundreds of errors after running the migrator i ended up uh, and, and most of my issues, to be clear, weren't necessarily Swift related. They were related to all the legacy Objective-C code that's in the project uh, along with the Swift. And the big one is, you know, after I got through all the errors is the uh, literally 13,000 plus warnings. <laughs> all re Nulls. Yeah, all related to uh, nullability specifiers on uh, the Objective-C pointers. Um, I know there are macros to silence them and, and even compiler flags to silence the warnings altogether, but it's a bit obnoxious, to be honest. And I'll have to go through eventually and, and clean it all up, uh, but it's going to take time. So which route did you choose? Did you do the compiler option to silence them? Turn the macros and then handling the, the nulls case by case, the nullable uh, values case by case. Okay. Yeah, because if you have a sizable Objective-C code base, this is not going to be fun. Yeah, which I, I, you know, clearly I do with 13,000 warnings. <laughs> and and that's not even counting the uh, dependencies. Fortunately, I don't have a lot of third-party dependencies, but those have warnings as well. Right. And, well, for me, I always, in my CocoaPods, I put the uh, inhibit warnings uh, marker in there, so I never see any warnings related to my pods. It kind of helps keep your project workspace decluttered. Yeah. And, you know, I had some weird issues as well related to that in that, you know, talk about different values being coerced into any. Uh, and it had to do with my, I had some factory methods that were used in several places that uh, um, were creating like labels and, and things like that, buttons. And uh, it decided that those factory methods could be failable now. So it didn't like the fact that I was putting an optional into an array um, that took it any. Yeah, because now the there's a odd distinction between any and any object, right? Yeah, and it wasn't so much the error, but it was the the way it reported. It didn't tell me which files they were in. It didn't didn't show me the line. Didn't you know, they were outside uh, the bound of the kind of file grouping of where where the warnings were. Hmm. Uh, so I had to kind of go into the actual output and find where where those were happening. But 
I still I wasn't getting down to the line level. I I was able to get to the file level with some digging. We'll have to do a a show in the future on Swift two three to three strangenesses and or just a little guide. Yeah, because there's the whole the whole any any object and the escaping no escaping. I think all that deserves to be talked about. Yeah, I think Erica Sadoon has a whole uh, ebook on that topic. I don't know to what level of detail it goes into, but it might be something for people who are going through that. Uh, that challenge now to to check out. Yeah, it's better to to read some of that stuff than to listen to a couple of guys talk about it. Yeah. So kind of look, you know, I think a while back or earlier in this year, we complained a little bit about not knowing what was going on with Swift Package Manager. And Alex, you read something about a roadmap? And the mailing list, they actually published a roadmap for what they're planning with fours as well as some of the things that they've completed and will be part of uh, Swift 3.1. And, you know, not too many surprises. We'll put a link in the show notes to the actual email, but uh, it's nice to at least know what the plan is and, and what they've done and what, what they're planning to do, because it was really hard to tell looking at the Swift Evolution page, you know, what was being worked on. And, you know, I, I think they had a little bit of turnover in the team, so I'm, I'm not sure how that impacted things, but it wasn't clear how or if things were progressing. So it looks like, like things are getting done and more things planned for Swift 4. Yeah, it's it's nice for them to remain visible. So do you do you guys feel like this makes you feel better seeing this roadmap like of where it's heading or is it still kind of this ambiguous blob of, hey, this is going to replace CocoaPods at some point, maybe? I don't. I don't think the roadmap makes me think that it's going to replace CocoaPods for a while. You know, there's a lot of good things happening. And just uh, I think it's going to take time to, to catch up to where some of the other package management solutions are today. I, I think what's reassuring is knowing that progress is being made. Uh, you know, I was starting to think that maybe it, the community lost interest and it wasn't going to go anywhere. You don't want to spin your wheels waiting around for abandoned wear to be released. Right. And, you know, we naively thought that we might see some integration with Xcode with Xcode 8, and clearly that didn't happen. might not even happen with Xcode 9. Yeah, I think one of the big issues that SPM has is that it's more for building static libraries, and it really needs to be able to build frameworks as well. Yeah, and more of a Mac OS thing rather than a Linux thing. And it needs to support Objective-C as well if it's going to, you know, for iOS developers, if you're going to be making it the de facto package manager, it'd be nice to have, have one, but... Word. Uh, there is there is something in the roadmap about being able to integrate external build tools. Uh, so similar to, you know, something like Gradle or uh, Fastlane or whatever, where you can basically exact out to do other command line tools. Sounds like they're putting some provisions in for that. So you can potentially use it to, you know, to call CocoaPods or Carthage or whatever uh, for those things that aren't supported by SBM directly. So another bit of news here. We talked about this a little while back on the show. There was an app called SetApp. It's kind of a, a Netflix style, uh, all you can eat for a fixed fee per month deal for basically the Mac app store, but not specifically the Mac App Store, but Mac apps themselves. That was in beta, and they're currently, they've just come out of beta now. And I think if you were in the beta, you got about a, a month of, you got a free month 
and then they're going to start charging you. So if you did sign up for the beta and you never used it, you might want to reevaluate whether you need it or not. There's definitely some good software in there. Yeah, I need to figure out if I'm going to use it. I've, I've used a couple apps, and the question is, should I just buy those apps outright, or what should I do? Hmm. Yeah. What are you going to do, Sam? Do you know yet, or are you still trying to figure that out? I, I haven't used a whole lot of the apps. I still feel that it kind of suffers from the discoverability problem. You know, I, I look in that set app folder, and I just see a bunch of icons, and I don't necessarily know what all these things do. So I click okay. on them. Go one, you know, the ones that have the interesting names or something, or look like they have professional F icons. Click on them, read the descriptions, and then say, oh, I don't know if I need that right now. I, I do think one thing to make clear is it is a curated list of apps. It's not, uh, uh, you know, anybody can put their apps into their store. It's it's intended to be apps above a, a certain level of quality. Uh, so, you know, I think all the apps are are well done, decent apps. So, you know, you shouldn't have the same issue that you have with Mac App Store where there's just a bu bunch of garbage and some... Yeah, there's a lot of garbage. So it's, you know, that that's one of the selling points. Uh, you can do trials, I believe, with this uh, kind of try before you buy. Well, I mean, if you're paying the monthly fee, you can use any of them. So you're not really committed. In my case, I already bought most of the apps that are in there that I would want to use. So it's hard for me to... To justify the the cost, I think it's nine ninety nine a month. Well, yeah, so I'm looking at, at it, and I've downloaded um, looks like four or five apps, and they're all kind of random little utilities. Some of them aren't very big, but there's another five to ten apps that I've bought that come out with you know paid updates every year or two. So it's more of a nebulous question for me because it's really hard to tell. You know, when are they going to come out with these paid updates, and how often is it? I'm guessing it probably would be less if I didn't use set app, but I'm not sure. It's hard to say for sure. I think I would like to see some bigger names in there. Put Pixelmator in there, put you know, some developer tools, which is more what I end up using anyway. If you threw paint code in there, sold. You know, yeah. I would pay the hundred bucks a year. Yeah, paint code is sketch, but sketch is already hundred bucks a year, so Yeah. I've got a feeling it's a hard sell to the developers of apps who whose price is more than like the yearly cost of the yeah. service to get in yeah. there. Yeah, I'm not sure what paint code sells for now, but I know it's not. It's, it's probably 99. over 100. Yeah, it's like 99. You get the upgrade discount, of course. So assuming yeah. that they had like the ratio of they get all the money, that would be less than they make if they sell the individual yeah. app. Yeah. Although it's still maybe people who... Make use up. paint code who wouldn't have before that's i guess that's the from a developer standpoint that's the other thing that's hard to kind of quantify right. it's like i probably wouldn't have gotten this from them this is a kind of you know you're trying to get as much money as you can on the supply demand curve at all the different points and this is just like another point where you can maybe squeeze in a couple more users who didn't feel it strongly enough to yeah to, can you, to pay for it at the full price the question would be can you make it up in volume Right. Or you still get both. I mean, it, this doesn't exclude you from selling your app on the app store. And if there's someone no. who's super, you know, gung ho about, I don't know, some app that's on here that like, like we said, like all the apps that Alex and I both said, we've bought a bunch. I'm guessing there's at least one of these that you've already bought too. Then, yeah. then, Hey, they still get their full money for that. Um, but 
people who were like, oh, what's this iStat menus thing? Which I it's like one of the first three or four apps I install on my computer when I do a new install. It's like, well, if this was part of my subscription, I, they they reliably come out with a new update every year, I think. So, I mean, that's that's maybe like a month or two worth right there if I just used iStat menus here. There are a handful of apps in here that are from a company like uh, Clean My Mac. I think Gemini as well. And and uh, I think they acquired one or two more recently. I'm not sure if they're in here or not. Yeah, there's over 60 apps in here. And I think selfishly, I'm hoping that this is successful because I want developers to you know make great apps and have a way to to monetize them and, and profit from their work. So they continue to make great apps. There's a lot of apps that have a little star by them too. I'm kind of curious what differentiate those. <laughs> I don't see the stars on mine. So, oh, well, maybe it's the view I'm in. I'm just in like a column view oh, in the setup folder. Well, I, there's a, there's a blue dot, which indicates there's an app that I've already downloaded that has a new version that I'm guessing I already have. Yeah. So it shows me now the blue dot went away that I opened it and there's a download, like a little down icon, which means you can download it. And then there's a star, which I'm not sure what it means. It's not ones that you've already downloaded, but there's no update for, there's no icon. Just curious, you know, yeah. interesting thing. I'm not I think sure what it means. I think for the most part, it's fairly well done. You know, it's definitely not as overwhelming as the app store. You know, it's it's really up to the individual whether they see enough value in the apps that are in the collection to, to pay for it. But, you know, I think the execution's decent, especially for just getting out of beta. Yeah. Well, since we started off on kind of a bummer of a note, I figured I'd end uh, the podcast on a somewhat ha- as happy of a note as I can be that is a story of today where uh, my company shipped a, a crash on launch for one of our apps. <laughs> oh, no. Um, it, and it got through review and everything. Yeah, we're. it's interesting that it got through review, but it made it past us, too. So, I mean, we basically submit six apps at once, and I'm guessing it's pretty easy to just test a couple of them and say, hey, it looks good. Uh I, I, what the bug was isn't terribly important, uh, but it only affected release builds, which is why it made it past us. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember when this exp- or this like you know new faster app review times uh, came out. You know, one of my questions, and I think we talked about it a little bit on the podcast, is like, so do people even do expedited app reviews anymore? Because you know it's you know, less than a day or maybe two days at max. I mean, that's pretty much what expedited app reviews used to be. Uh, And so we were kind of thinking the same thing. We figured out, we found out the app was crashing in about 20 minutes. Thanks to Crashlytics. Um, We were just checking that proactively. We were like, oh, this is a crash on launch. Uh Oh, um, We got some emails. We got like 20 emails in about 20 minutes, which was cool. Uh, And then we're like, oh, crap. So we figured out what it was fairly quickly. Um, We were on our our weekly call. We actually released it at the beginning of our call. And, you know, 20 minutes in our call, we're like, oh, crap. Um, So we fixed it during the call. Uh, Someone worked on the code. Someone went to 
start rejecting apps and getting it ready to submit and all that stuff. And so we submitted and um, did a expedited app review because we were like, all right, well, let's see how if this helps us at all. And literally two minutes after we submitted the expedited app review, uh, our app was in review and out of the review and the new version was up on the app store, like within an hour of when we released the bad app. So I thought that was pretty impressive uh, from Apple's standpoint, as far as expedited app reviews go. And I'm really, really glad that they were there for that. Um, you know, the Android guys would be like, oh, well, you just don't even have app review for us. But from what we've come from, that was a pretty amazing experience. It's, it's a shame that we don't get like the email of the person who did your expedited app review so I can <laughs> thank them. But <laughs> if, if we did, I totally would have sent like a thank you. That was awesome and super fast. Although they did thoroughly test this time. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool to, to see that. So. If you do get in the experience, uh, some something like that where you need to do an expedited app review, it's still worthwhile to do, and they respond super quick now. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, did your crash happen to be something that would maybe be applicable to some of our listeners? Like, was it maybe a missing file or? Well, we basically had a an if def like a pre pre-compiler macro for something to run and debug. And we had a method in there that shouldn't have been in there. So when you built and ran, um, and, and this is objective C. So when you built and run and debug, the code was there because the pre-compiler macro was there to include it. When you build it and release, um, that code is no longer there. Uh, and if this was swift, I'm pretty sure that would have been impossible to happen. So maybe that's, a uh, that's one of those Scrum. Swift scrolling for Swift. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was yay. Objective C is dynamic and you can build code that calls stuff that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> eh, okay. But yeah. So, I mean, it, like I said, it's not a super exciting bug. It shipped and we fixed it super quick because expedited app review is super fast now. Uh, and I think that's about all the time we have this week. So why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm at Sam Corder on Twitter. You can find me at Alex Argo and the podcast is at shared inst. Uh, feel free to join us uh, in our Slack by going to chat.sharedinstance.com um, to get an invite. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Later. All right. See you later.